0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with free jazz, double bassist, multi-instrumentalist, poet and composer, Mr. William Parker. He grew up in the Bronx and he's always been around music. He went on to study with cats like Jimmy Garrison and became a key component of the New York City experimental jazz scene and played with the likes of Cecil Taylor and David S. Ware with his quartet. He is a very introspective and brilliant poet and he's also brimming with artistic ambition. He has a very eloquent story and thoughts on his life and music and the world around him. Please, get to know Mr. William Parker and dig this interview, my friends.
1: Hey, thank you for taking some time out for me today. I appreciate it. Oh, okay, no problem. So, I'm going to just dive in right here. I always like to get kind of a snapshot. I know that you've got a lot of activity on your website. Let me know kind of in your own words, just kind of an overview of what's going on in the world these days.
2: Right now, I'm... Preparing to go to Calgary for six weeks because I'm I'm a musical director, composer in residence, and uh, for undecidedly jazz dance, and uh, we're doing a new piece called uh, with uh, choreographer Kimberly Cooper called New Universe, and I've written music for that, and it'll be running for about five weeks. Up at the, uh, a new space, they're opening new new art space. They're opening up in the city of Calgary, and so that's immediately what I'm dealing with now, <laughs> as preparing for that. And then I'm also preparing for two concerts I have at the D- at Lincoln Center at the Dizzy Coca-Cola Club, July 26 and 27. 26, there's a small group with myself and Hami Drake playing drums, Cooper Moore piano, Kid Jordan tenor sax, Rob Brown tenor sax, and that's uh, called Cosmic Mountain Quartet. On July 27th, I'm doing a little expanded version of that group with a different piano player, with Dave Burrell playing piano, uh, Hami Drake, Kid Jordan, Rob Brown, swell trombone and another tenor saxophone player from the 70s 80s and 90s and now he's here today called Mixer Lee Rozzi and he'll be playing tenor saxophone on that one
1: I'm, I'm going to go back to the beginnings of your life now we've got a snapshot of what's going on these days tell to me about your childhood in the Bronx and how you fell in love with not only music but more specifically jazz
2: my entrance into jazz music comes from Listening when I was six or seven, 1959, you can even say uh, 10 years old, 1960, yeah, 60, from 60 to 62. My father was playing, who was very much into Duke Ellington. And my father had two idols. One was Duke Ellington, and one was the Apache Indian chief, Geronimo. Uh, He would come home and play us diminuendo and crescendo in blue from 1957 Live in Newport. And we would dance uh, to the music, particularly Paul Gonzalez's horn solos. And we'd listen to a lot of music in the house. Ben Webster, Coleman Hawkins, Don Byers, Willis Jackson, Duke Ellington, Count Basie. And uh, then my father came home with instruments for us. He gave me a trumpet and gave my brother a thomas a saxophone and we studied those instruments and and i went from s- trumpet to trombone eventually in junior high school cello acoustic bass i guess one of the things that happened was when we were kids our favorite game was playing jam session so we had these mattel toy company made these guns called the, the fan of 50 where you play cowboys and indians but instead of playing cowboys and indians we would turn the guns around and pretend like they were trumpets. We would play jam session all the time. That was our favorite game. So somehow it was being sort of put in my psyche about being a musician, about playing music. I didn't really get serious about it, although although later on I found out it was my father's, uh, one of my father's dreams was to have me and my brother play in the Ellington Orchestra. That's, that's what he was trying to train us for to be in the Ellington Orchestra. But I didn't really take it seriously until 69, 70, when I began to listen to uh, John Coltrane's music, and I really could put together an idea of the purpose for music. And then as soon as I realized that, that music was played not to entertain people, although People were entertained by it, but it was it was more idea of music was played to enlighten and uplift people to another state of consciousness and then through listening to that music of John Coltrane and Albert Isler and uh Archie Shep and Bill Dixon, Milford Gray Cecil Taylor, I began to to stretch and learn about art and music and dance and literature and began to put the pieces of the puzzle of this abstract language called music that you, you could hear but you couldn't see. And then I, I said, well, this is what I think I want to do. I want to be a musician and make a contribution playing the bass. So I switched to the bass, cello to bass, and I went down to... Um, IS 201 to the Jazzmobile Music School, which was at 131st Street and Park Avenue in Harlem, and it was run by the Jazzmobile. The director of it was Paul West, who was the bassist for Dizzy Gillespie at the time. Faculty was all professional musicians you know, Lee Morgan, Kenny Durham, Joe Newman, Jimmy Heath, Frank Foster, Sonny Red, Bud Johnson. Sir Roland Hanna, Curtis Fuller, uh, Benny Powell, Richard Davis, Milt Hinton, uh, Art Davis were the bass teachers. I saw they probably had more bass teachers than that. So I went there and uh, studied with Richard Davis and Art Davis and Paul West. And they were doing big band charts of uh, Oliver Nelson and Dizzy Gillespie, Gil, Gil Fuller. But my heart was into the other music I was listening to because that's the music that the, all of those, you know, Benny Goldson and that was good music. But uh, the music that was, to me, was revolutionary in my life in a more direct sense was what they're calling the new music, black music, avant-garde music. You know, that's where I, what I really wanted to play. But they didn't really, uh, that wasn't where you learned it. You know, you had to learn that by playing it so i eventually i'm putting everything into a, a a capsule here in this long long sentence i eventually uh left the jazz and began to migrate from the bronx downtown to find the musicians who were playing the music that i wanted to participate in i was doing things up in the bronx as soon as i started playing music before that, I was writing. I was writing poems. I was writing short stories and little plays, and inspired by Samuel Beckett and Harold Pinter and people like that. So I was also writing music. So I had a I had a big band up in the Bronx. Eventually, played at the Th- Third World Cultural Center up there on 67th Street. But the musicians that I ran into downtown were just phenomenal because I, I went to a place called The Firehouse on East 11th Street, run by a musician named Alan Glover, and I met Andrew Hill there. I met Billy Higgins, and then I began going out to Billy Higgins's house in Brooklyn, St. Mark's Avenue in Brooklyn, and I began playing duets with Billy Higgins. I ran into Rashid Ali, began to play with him. At a club call, which is now used to be called CBGBs. At that time, it was called Hillie's on the Bowery. Frank Lowe, Sonny Murray, Charles Tyler. 1974, I played with, with Cecil Taylor at Carnegie Hall. So just one thing led to another to another, and that's how I sort of began to get a foundation in the music because this music is something that you have you learn. Not by going to school, but you learn by, by playing, it, by playing. It. Because everyone's got a different method of doing things and a different way of putting their music together. And so the more people you play with, the more systems of music you learn, the more systems of improvisation. You know, I played with Don Cherry in 1975 at the Five Spot for a week. That was one way of doing it. You know, it in 1973-74 with Cecil Taylor, uh, with Rashid Ali on Tuesday nights at Hillies. I played with Charles Tyler, who had just come back to New York also in 74. Joseph Bowie and the guys from St. Louis. Frank Lowe and Joseph Jarman. I played with Gene Lee and Gunter Hampel. Then I began st- also playing and interacting with Wilbur Ware, also at an early time, and also Ronnie Boykins, a bass player, for played with Sun Ra, John Gilmore, Marshall Allen I met. So it was really a, a, a great time in New York to be around in the 70s because uh, you could still operate. You could have a part-time job and pay your rent and operate as a musician. So it was, it was, it was a great
1: period for me. At at that time, that was a perfect kind of tapestry to kind of wrap up a lot of subsequent questions I have. But I got to ask you in the beginnings, were you nervous about playing or has it always been natural from the time you had those toys in your father's uh, house? I mean, has it always been a natural thing for you?
2: Well, I don't know about natural, but I knew that whether this was pride or ego that, you know, that I couldn't. When it was time to play, I couldn't just stand up there and, and, tw- and twinkle my toes. And whatever, if I was nervous, it was something I, I had to overcome because it was about making, getting to the point where the music could flow. It was just very, very, very important for me to um, inside to, to to step up to the plate. So uh, I knew that was important, and it was like giving. It was almost like giving a responsibility. You know, you're, you're given a responsibility you know to to care for something like okay i'm giving you you're you're watching my child so now before you you know you, you so all your chops come up all your senses are raised because you know you're 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 watching the child you're caring for a tree you're caring for music so i think all of that came together and and i have uh, uh, what i found is that uh, i really could hear music and I really had a really uh, what well, improvisational music was really my uh, my forte. What you call creative music or free improvised music, even to the point of being able to define it and categorize it and really understand you know, where it was coming from. And so that was if, if there's anything natural, it's the ability or desire to want to play music, and then the desire to play it and that's developing it and to reach out to it to um really really uh, get to the heart of the of, of where the sound comes from to know it and forget it at the same time to not intellectualize it too much but to feel it and know that there's is in, an intellectual idea or intellect involved in in everything in life, and once you realize that, there's things happening in your brain when you play this, when you play that. There are things happening in your system when you when you do just about everything. So there's always intellect happening. I mean, that, that's like a given. It was. It's still. It's still a journey to 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 and a wonderful journey to continue to play. You know, music to find what you what a person is here to do, to find out what you're here to do and what you can, you know, what you can do and what you can't do. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they try to play like Paul Chambers. And so I have a student, you know, they want to play like Paul Chambers. And after a while, you find, okay, you know, I've been trying to play these Paul Chambers lines like for all year and I can't get them. What am I doing wrong? And the simple thing is you're not doing anything wrong except you're not Paul Chambers. And once you discover that, that, okay, you just have to find the lines that you need to play. And we all have lines. We all have stories. We all have things that are supposed to come through us. And if we're trying to do something, someone else's music, and it doesn't work because simply we're not supposed to be doing someone else's music. I mean, we all have a, you know, if we're lucky enough, we have ears and noses and eyes, and, and we all see different, we all have a, what you call a musical DNA that's really what our voice is and what we're supposed to be doing. And so to find your voice, you just have to not look for it so hard and realize that whatever's been played, in, and this is a good philosophy, whatever's been played in music Nobody can play what you're going to play in the in the next few minutes. Yeah, and that kind of like anchors you in and you say, "Wow, you know, like, well, Duke played it all, and you know, and Miles played it. No, Miles played would play. Just Miles didn't even tap into the mountain yet. There's so much more to play in music. I mean, you know, there's so much more. So it's always more. So so there shouldn't be any copycats. There shouldn't be any. You know everything should be different. Ever so slightly. It's even hard for a person to play the same thing they played. You know if I play something at one o'clock and they say play the same thing at one thirty, that's hard to do. And you say it almost sounds the same. Well, you listen to it and you really say it's slightly different. It's already grown a little bit. It's all time is always moving that's why there's no really reason
1: to keep time because time moves itself it's always moving well you mentioned in, in the first question that i'd asked you so many people that you've played and learned with over the years from don cherry to folks like jimmy garrison when you were young and you were around forces creative forces like them what did you get from them how what did you learn that helped you in your career
2: everybody was different and i knew that like when i met john gilmore in Sunrise Orchestra, I met them up in the Bronx. I met Marshall Allen, and and I I had been, you know, listening and had a kora, African instrument from Gambia, and I heard somewhere I read somewhere that Marshall Allen was repairing kora, so that's why I went there, and I showed him the kora and I said, oh, you know, and they were like, looking at me like I was the first person in the world they had ever met. And that they said, wow, you know, they, they were saying, well, what can we learn from William? You know, it wasn't like sit down, youngster, let me show you something. It was like, what can we learn from William? And they were just so nice and so open. So that, that idea is, okay, then I'm going to be, make sure that that's part of my personality too when I start meeting young people. Always have time for them, always be polite, always, you know, uh, extend an, an extra, go an extra yard to make sure that they get their questions answered. And then Don Cherry was the same way. Don Cherry was always, you know, you be on, a, on the Lower East Side and one day you see Don is coming down, he's roller skating in a multicolored sweater with a hat with a propeller on it. And then the next time you saw him, you know, he's wearing a poncho and he's got boots that are... 40 different colors and he's, you know, always riding a bicycle. So, so Don, so Don's always wearing colors. So then you say, well, every time I see Don, no matter how I feel, after I leave him, I feel better. So, so I said, okay, that's important too. You know, that after you meet somebody, they speak to you after they leave you, you want to make them feel better. So that's also a great quality, to, you know, to exude and have And then you read about John Coltrane, how you hear stories about he always would talk to young people and always would, you know, let you sit in and and, and just exude enthusiasm and support for people. So all of these things you learn, uh, I learned from uh, different musicians of how they acted and how they treated each other. And it was, and of course, some didn't do that, some were... You know, not so nice, but then you, you you just didn't do that. Some had tempers or some yelled at people, and some were temperamental. but that kind of thing is okay well, I'm going to be temperamental because this guy's temperamental no you you just take the what you consider the good aspects of their personality that inspire you and make you feel better and uh, you leave out what you want to leave out and Everyone of course has a different opinion about this, but from my point of view, always about uplifting people the melody, you know, in that
1: conversation and finding the melody, the same as finding a melody in music. So let me ask you this. Another very important component of your very long and fruitful jazz existence has been your life as a poet. How has being a poet helped you as a musician and vice versa? Well, the idea is, you know, like you take a line,
2: you know, you know, there's a line I had, you know, like stepping on flowers and not knowing you're stepping on flowers. And the idea is that there's poetry everywhere. There are flowers growing everywhere. They're giving. You know, the, the earth is always giving birth to life and light. And so, to find this sort of singing or poetic idea of things in everything you see, to bring out the the the, the good in things in people, to 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 reflect. Things that people can read that will again uplift them, again bring them into a poetic state. Because it's during this poetic state, it's like people say, well, like a baby can fall, and he, the baby's loose, so he doesn't break his his arm. Because when he falls, he's flexible, he's loose, he's he's not uptight. While if, if a glass, which you bro- drops on the floor, if it's not doesn't bend. It cracks. So, and, and But in that poetic state is when we grow, is when, is when we change. And so everything in a poetic state becomes larger than what it is. We begin to see, you know, that, that there's an idea of, okay, uh, bird. I just use, use this a couple of times. You know, bird is poem in the sky, and the sky is always beautiful. And in that, in that image is such a great image because it's like, no matter where you are, you know, you can be, and this comes from the idea, you know, you're working in the cotton fields and you're working, you know, you're in the fields of Vietnam or someplace. And you stop for a minute and you look up at the sky and it's beautiful. And it's beautiful everywhere in the world. It's always a poem in the sky. It's consistent. And so it's poetry is what softens our heart. Poetry brings the beauty out in us. And I was in junior high school once, and I remember they kept talking about the president going to Camp David for vacation. And then I I said, well, you know, art is supposed to inspire and uh, and poetry is supposed to uplift people. So a guy goes to Camp David or he goes someplace or he's got got original art in his house, full of original art. Then he comes back on Monday and says, okay, well, I'm going to, bomb this country, and I'm going to bomb that country, and I'm going to cut these people's benefits, and I'm going to make sure that these people, you know, are executed in this prison. So like, if art is supposed to change you, and people who have money and have opportunity have all this beautiful art around them, how come it doesn't soften them? And what I realize is that they think the art was made for them. You see, they think that they own the mountain, they own the sky. They own the rivers. They own the beautiful trees, and so they—it's just—it obli- becomes oblivious. The, the beauty of that flower bounces, just bounces off of them like it never existed. So I think a poetry is really the, the, the element that opens the door for us to, 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 to see the light, and, uh, and this, and, and also poetry is not just rhyming poetry. There's melodic poetry there's poetry there's abstract poetry i think what the recognition of when something's a, a poem poem is just another word for saying something is beautiful you know when 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 you're you know you're hungry and you're on the street and somebody says hey come to my house man i'll give you a sunday dinner that's a poem and they're putting that food on that plate every every <laughs> Every little bit of food is like a, a piece of that poem. And the poem is called, I Love You, I'm Sharing This Food With You, and, uh,
1: you know, on and on. That's beautiful. That really is. I love that answer. So what I want to know, you know, you played with what the world would consider jazz heroes. And I want to know, who are your jazz heroes?
2: I, I suppose I have to go back to my original entrance into the music. And I would say Ornette Coleman and the reason I say Ornette Coleman because when I first came listening to the music I listened to a lot of Ornette Coleman. When we were going to school we listened to Ornette Coleman in the morning before we went to school. We'd come home and listen to Ornette Coleman. Just everything about what he did was was an inspiration to me. You know, the 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 music, the words the philosophy, and so it was very, very, very strong influence on my idea of what could be done in music, the possibilities. And I always came out thinking clearer and brighter after I listened to Ornette Coleman. It was really like a, a lifeline. I'll say that in public. Uh, and also uh, the music of Albert Eiler was, uh, was very... Uh, influential on me and very uh, in a personal personal way, because he was, he was uh, really connected with Albert Eiler. And um, I would say if I had to name, there, there are certain aspects of everyone's music that I that really had a personal uh, effect on me and uh, you know Don Sherry, Cecil Taylor. Uh, Milford Graves, Bill Dixon, Sonny Murray, uh, Rashid Ali, John Coltrane, Alice Coltrane, there's so many people. But if i say one person, uh, in my in- embryonic coming to be as a person, um, that I always could go back to, to, to listen to get that, uh, Uplift. I, I I would say there's one particular record, and it was by uh, Joseph Jarman actually, called "As If It Were the Seasons" on Delmark, because on that he laid out for me everything possibility of expanding the idea of poem, of sound, of melody, of expansive rhythm, of space, all in that album. And it was uh, very much uh, one of the um, most perfect albums uh, in my world at a a particular time. As well as uh, Bill Dixon's Intents and Purposes and Cecil Taylor Conquistador, John Coltrane's Ascension, the Bobby music by Milford Graves. And many, many other things. You know, jazz at the mass. Text of composition written by Lalo Schifrin with Paul Horn. I was a movie soundtrack guy, and uh, that's a uh, you know Quincy Jones, The Deadly Affair, French composer Maurice Jarre, the other French composer George uh, Delarue, who did movies for with Francois Truffaut and Jean-Luc Godard. John Barry, who did uh, Born Free as well as James Bond movies, and Neo Maricone, who did um, all the Italian spaghetti westerns, and and a lot of many, 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 many soundtracks. I mean, all all of this stuff, in fact, everything I listened to influenced me, and at the time I was listening to it had an uplift and an effect on me. You know, there's things, you know, you're standing on the street corner popping your fingers, but if you're standing on the street corner and you're popping your fingers and you're listening to Count Basie or you're listening to Oliver Nelson, you know, then it's just a little bit more of an uplift, and then if the sun is coming through the clouds... And it gets later on in the day, and you put on Arnett Coleman at the Golden Circle. That's another thing, and listen to a ballad. So music was a 24-hour soundtrack for me. You know, Curtis Mayfield, everything I listened to, the Modern Jazz Quartet, Archie Shep, Four for Train, On This Night, uh, Gratian Moncourt third, Frankenstein, Roswell Rudd, Everywhere, uh, Giuseppe Logan, Giuseppe Logan Quartet, Lowell Davidson Piano Trio, Paul Blay, Frank Wright. I mean, all of this music was, was to me, was a, was a blessing that I was blessed enough to be able to to listen to, and uh, and then eventually down the line participate and play with some of these musicians. So, any kind of music can uplift you and take you to the to the tone world and to the other place where you need to go. To really uh, find another self, which is your real self, and then you can begin to see other dimensions of yourself and, and inspire people. And, and also, to, again, defining music as anything that's beautiful. That music is one part of music is sound, but music is anything that's beautiful poetry, dance, literature, gardening, building, carpentry. There's music in all of these things, architecture.
1: Let me ask you this: It's a general question, but I'm curious. Why do you love jazz?
2: You know, I don't know if I call it jazz. You can say, "Why do I love jazz?" But it's that. I mean, I I love people, and and you know, I love music because music is is coming out of people. It is part of people. You know, they say the body's made up of eighty percent water. I think that people are made up of of ninety uh, percent music. I love music. I love the idea of improvisation. You know, when we used to get up and and listen to people like Miles Davis and and um, Kenny Durham and and the Art Blakey and all the music that was coming out of the community and it was coming out was just great. You know, Louis Armstrong. I mean, it, it was it, it just just it, it's just part of us. You know, part of everybody. You know, jazz music, whatever you want to call it, it's part of. It's something. It's the missing link from our life that we have to have. That whether we know it or not, we have to have it, and it really is is just a, a, a catalyst for our growth as human beings. And so I I love it because it's an exhilarating feeling about it. Listening to uh, Hampton Hawes or. You know Andrew Hill, Dave Burrell. I mean, everybody's just—it's all beautiful. It's all beautiful. You know, I mean, but but we we come out of clans. You say, you know, just because you say, well, I like Bill Dixon doesn't mean I don't like Clark Terry. It just because I I I say, well, I, I like uh, David S Ware or Matthew Ship. You know, it, it 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 doesn't mean, you know, I don't like Albert Daly or Cinellia Cine- Cine- Smith or Lonnie listen Smith or I don't like uh, – or Roger Calloway, you know, who's on Sonny Rollins' record, Alfie. I mean, he plays some beautiful stuff on that. So, I mean, it's like if you got to be honest, you can't just say, I like one thing or, you know, you say, well, I play this because I've, I come out of this particular clan. I play fast and loud and hard because I come out of the fast and loud and hard clan. And this guy plays melodically because he comes out of the melodic clan. I love the melodic clan because, and we're all family. We're all family, and I think that the the, the family that I come from musically, they never have any problems with what you call avant-garde or out music. You know, or they don't have any problems with listening to Tito Puente. I mean, Cecil Taylor listens to opera. He listens to, Cecil, he listens to Tito Puente. He listens to Zanakis. He'll listen to bebop. He loves Billie Holiday. He loves Marvin Gaye. You know, so it's just like on the other end, it's always like, whoa, there's a problem. Here come the out guys. These guys are avant-garde. There's no melody. There's no this. There's no that. But when you listen to, uh, you know, you can listen to some music from, from, uh, Africa or Asia. I mean, you know, that music is accepted. So I, I don't know what the big deal ever, I don't even ask this question, what we got here, you know, about <laughs> avant-garde versus straight ahead. I mean, everything is straight ahead and everything is avant-garde and everything is, is and isn't, you know, connected. I mean, it's, it's, it's all that people are connected to the music. And so it, it, it I like the people, I like the music, but you only end up doing what you think you can do best. And you say, "Well, I just can't play bebop. It's not. I don't. I I like when you play it, but I'm not going to play it because that's not what I think I was born to play. I was born to play this. You were born to play that. But I. But I love what you do, and that's kind of how it is. But uh, I I I think music is just very important for our lives whether it's jazz or whatever you want to call it, you want to categorize it, you want to you compartmentalize it. But but if you say jazz in a classical sense of, of, of what we know, and musicians saying the word jazz to themselves, then it's, it's something special because it's got a certain quality that uh, no other music has. It's not mass produced, it's individually produced. And I think that's what one of the things that
1: makes it special. Absolutely. I love that answer. Let me ask you this. When the world peels back the pages of poetic history and jazz history and they come across your name, how do you want to be remembered?
2: If I'm remembered, which, which would be nice, I suppose, I just want to be remembered as somebody who was able to play some music and communicate with people, to talk to people, and to spread. I was with someone that was spreading a message of, of love and peace. And, uh, truth and hope and joy in people's lives. That's, that's what I really want to be remembered as. Or just someone that played music. And then when you listen to the music, then you can, you know, say, if, if there's still music around, you know, uh, recordings of it that, uh, you know, this, you know, that people form their own uh, idea of who I am, I, I wouldn't be there anymore. So it's like, uh, hopefully they'll form an idea of, of why we're living here and uh, how they can also make a contribution as others did before them. and if I was one before them then uh, hopefully they understand that it was you know it was about music
1: and sound and uh, about people. that's beautiful. I think that kind of sums and wraps everything up for me. Thank you for being so generous and warm with your stories and I, I have no doubt that what what you give to the world is pure love and and
0: it's been a joy to talk with you okay thank you very much thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another neon jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in the bronx kansas city and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz and thanks to william for his essence his music and his great story if you want to hear more interviews go to famous interviews with joe domino on the itunes store or visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.